0: This episode of Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone Podcast is brought to you by Conti Fitness and Wellness. The best in fitness, wellness, public speaking, health coaching, and more. Find out promo codes and information at contifitness.net.
1: This episode is also brought to you by High Five Health and Fitness. Create positive change in your life with online health coaching from High Five Health and Fitness i 5 healthandfitnesscom And finally, do you want the most
0: optimal health and improved performance in your life? Check out Vox Life. They are a company that reduces pain, increases strength, endurance, increases stability, balance, and enhances range of motion, provides for faster reaction times. Check out all the promo codes for insoles, socks, you name it at 2 Fit Crazies. It is Christine Conti and I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies
1: and a microphone. We
0: are where it's at. And
1: Christine's got to be on Christine's schedule. Jeez,
0: freaking Christ, I know. It is tis the season, <laughs> and I always said I always was on this like rigid schedule of like time and calendars and whatever. And I'm like really trying to be very personal and whatever. And what happens is, is that. I call it fitness therapy sometimes and I just, I, I'm like, I want to be here for you and I want to listen, but like, I I have to pick up my kid because they're like at swim or like, <laughs> I'm going to leave them there and like Dyfus is going to come. And like, you know, it's uh it gets to be, I love you all. That's all I have to say. And I wish there was like eight of me and I didn't have to sleep or eat, but unfortunately
1: when when the co-host when the co-host looks at me and says Christine needs to be on Christine's schedule."
0: I didn't you, mean it in a bad way. Just, I'm like stressing myself out.
1: It's like, "All right, stressing myself all right Diva, out. I'll hit record." I'm totally <laughs> Diva's "Look at these nails, Brian. I you look have the like wor- you have the worst nails from a diva I've ever seen."
0: I look like a f- hot mess. You nah, should see my toes. Nah, you don't nah, even nah, want nah, to see nah, those. No, no, no,
1: no, 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 Holy jeez. Nah. Don't do that to yourself. Oh, my gosh. Say something nice about yourself oh. right now.
0: <laughs> um, so... You're an incredible co-host.
1: I'll say that. And you did a really good job. We got an excellent <laughs> an awesome guest. guest here today. This is episode 74.
0: 74. I'm pumped. Yeah. Well, I told you, 100 is coming up. We're, we're going to ramp things up. We're going to have to like podcast a couple times a week. That's how excited I am about 100.
1: I'm game. Party part time every day
0: one day every day working on it uh yeah more advertisers let's go we'll advertise uh, a little bit more and we can podcast a little bit more for all of you uh to fit crazy guests out there in this world um so here's the deal Pete Williams is pretty freaking cool he is in London right now um I asked him about the future. What's the future like? (laughs) And he could have had two answers. One could have been like, it's glorious because obviously the time zone difference. That's just me being a weirdo. Um, but he went into really what the future is like for our fitness and medicine and I mean, sedentary lifestyles versus movement effects on the brain. And he's just fantastic. A very highly educated man and, you are really going to, I think, gain a lot from this interview, Brian. What do you think? I,
1: again, it was one of those interviews where you, where you, I was listening a lot, like just like I was I like three I pages was, I was, of notes. I was listening to my own podcast because Pete was such a phenomenal guest. Uh, you know, his his, um, you know, he's just you know his business is functional medicine and approach to lifestyle medicine i mean it's it's really um getting to know people and 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 getting to know what's best for them and and having them understand what's best for them from where they're at right now right. so you know we get into a number of topics from you know aging uh you know aging populations and and uh you know redefining like what sedentary actually means. I mean, we're beyond sedentary as a population, you know, whether it's here or across the pond where he is. Um, you know, so we even say, you know, the sedentary population, we don't even mean what we really say. So, you know, what is the appropriate, uh, intervention for, for, for somebody like that? And, and, uh, you know, we, we take it even, even further from that, you know, we get into, um, Just how
0: science is wrongly applied. Like you know, we understand we need to do hit training and vary our heart rates and interval-based training. We get it. How are you supposed to tell that to someone who
1: isn't ready for that? Is
0: six hundred pounds who can't do that? And then they're like, "Well, I quit." Or we know what science says, but this is my favorite thing, and I talk about it all the time. You know what science says. You know what's written in the book. You know what this box program tells you to do. But guess what? That is not good for everyone as a teacher, as a fitness professional. Now, as a speaker, you cannot tell everyone to do the same thing because we're not the same people. And that's where it goes back
1: to, right? It's kind of what he bio individuality, you know, Brian, what diet should I be taking? You know, what, what do I need to eat? You know, it's going to be different know. for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a pretty good idea what we shouldn't eat. That's where we start, right? right? Uh, Brian, how should I exercise? You know, all these things. Like, what? Just tell me what to do. Well, we don't. We're not there yet. Right. You know, let's just move a little bit and and work our way into it, and, and things will be, um, you know, uh, will will be introduced as we go, and it's really that, you know, like that's the t- that's the way to long term health, right? Rejavity. Instead of just doing what we, you know. The thing that we need to do to fit into the dress, or the thing that we need to do to, to, to you know to um, to lose those ten pounds, or whatever it is, uh, y- you know, we really have to move it beyond that, um, you know, and to, and to get into the individual and what they actually need. Uh, it's fascinating for me. I love doing it with my health coaching. Um, you know, it really allows me to to get to know people and to have people get to know themselves. Um, you know, be an observer of your own behaviors mm-hmm. is an amazing tool that. When people just kind of remove themselves and take a look at how they behave, what makes them nervous, right. what makes them hungry, what makes them uh, excited, what make, you know, those are the things uh, that that really um, can can steer the ship uh, far you more than that, you know a regular program of some sort.
0: And Pete said, "You're going to hear him talk about you know what sometimes." You may not, you may have a day where you're off, you're stressed, you're something and you wait to hear what he, what he does or what he did for a client that would come in and just be really anxious. And it might surprise you, um, ab- about some of the, some of the, um, exercises that he does because it may just not be something you think is exercise, but it's just as important. Um, when we talk about trainers going out there and, f- you know, you're working with people, Really getting to know your client and what they need and what they need at that moment is probably the most important thing that you can, that you can do for them. Because if it's not, you know, it all starts with your mind. Got to be ready to do it. Whether it's starting a program or whether it's just starting an exercise for a day. Are you ready? So he's, I think he's phenomenal. And all of our listeners, I mean, if you are not going to take the time to go out and go to a conference or a convention or download a webinar or whatnot, this is, type of uh interview that you're going to hear today is priceless it really it is it might save your life yeah
1: we will bring it to you so with that said here we go pete williams episode 74 whoa two fit crazy on a microphone podcast enjoy (laughs) Christine Conte. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we
0: are two fit crazes. And the microphone. We are where it's at, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm
1: good. I'm good.
0: International today. We are. I am really excited. And there's actually a question I always ask when I speak with people in different time zones. And we're going to bring Pete Williams on immediately and talk about the amazing things that are going on right now um, with functional medicine and corrective exercise and brain science and Pete, I'm really excited for this conversation. So welcome, Pete. Where are you uh, coming from?
2: Um, uh, hi everyone. Um, yeah, I'm in um, I'm in central London. So it's uh, it's just getting dark now. We are ten past four. So uh, yeah, Pete. Um, this is what
0: I ask everyone: What is the future like? <laughs>
2: Uh, The future, really really good question i think um i think everyone will move towards an individualized approach i think um what works for one person doesn't work for another one and and i think science and medicine and actually i would say sports science now is actually just starting to get a grasp of if you like i suppose the terms we use in in medicine is this systems biology approach so i think understanding that all systems are integrated rather than um, rather than separate, and I think obviously you know humans every i you know the, the the line i i like to use is that each and every one of us is absolutely unique. there is never going to be anyone exactly like us again. I think that 's pretty cool, but as a consequence of that, what works for someone will not work for someone else and, and I think we 're moving in the realms of more and more individualizing approaches, I think, the data in the medicine is allowing, to, allowing us to do that really well. And that's definitely something that myself and my colleagues over the last five or 10 years have, have really started to go down the road of becoming um, more and more individualized with patients or athletes, et cetera. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Nice place can can to
1: I go. ask you, does that, does that complicate things or does it make it easier?
2: I think it complicates it to the patient if they don't understand the journey to to gather the data and 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 I think I think a lot of medicine and and maybe fitness is you've got to be able to run the correct narrative to your patient. You've got to understand what they believe they're getting, what how long is it going to take, what are they going to get out of it and you've got to match that with what you know. It's going to take and what you know, how long it's going to take. So I think that's where the complications become. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing to think about it, in any one day, your physiology will be exposed to something different. So whilst you're working over time to individualize more and more and more, there are always going to be things that you just cannot control. And that is the environment. So um, I think it, it makes it I think if you've gathered enough data over enough time, particularly if you've got um, subsequent sort of data sets, maybe over 12 months to 18 months, you really do start to get a good feel about what's working and why it's working. And if you're layering on top of that as well, so you're following biomarkers over time, you've got them on regimented programs, you understand what the programs are starting to do, and then you get the data of how well, that, how, how well that's done, and then you can start layering in the genetics underneath. You really do start to get a really good look and feel about what works best for this patient and what are the, if you like, what are the troublemaking areas that you need to deal with? It might be for some, you know, detoxification is a problem. It might be for others that, you know, we really need to focus on the inflammatory-led side of this person. And so, with enough data over enough time, you really do start to really do start to get some done some decent stuff done. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I just I I, I guess what I was getting at with that is, you know, if we do see everybody as as individuals, which I always do, you know, right. in a gym setting, that's what we're looking at. You know, the people are unique, and there's no two ways about it. There's just that's what they are. So. You know, my philosophy is we have to work with them, not them work with us, and and, and I think just like that integrative approach to it. You know, it it's sometimes it does take a little bit more time to get to where we need to go, um, but I do. correct. And
2: Brian, I think the key on that is that you know, in everything that I've done really over the last twenty five years, having having the honest conversation about expectations, I think is really important. I also think whilst you're, you know, and I I think not just in fitness, but in medicine at the moment, there are some really amazing tests coming out. That said, a lot of people just do not do the basics well enough. So, you know, I can have patients wanting to come in and spend tens of thousands of pounds on curl tests And my question is, well, why are we doing this? You know, why would we do this when you're not capable of doing the basics well? And it is the basics really where all the results come from. You're not sleeping well enough, your diet's not as good as it should be, you're just not moving enough, and you're too stressed out. So, should we save our money? Um, And maybe use those tests maybe in a year's time when we've really got to the point of being able to exhaust ourselves from the point of view of getting these absolute basics correct. Because that's where all the, that's where the, I always say that's where the biggest bang for our buck as far as results is always going to happen. So while you can get a load of data, I think it's really, really important. If they're not doing the basics well, you've got to get them to do the basics well first.
0: So is that our future? I mean, is is our future that we need to almost i, I don't i don't want to say regress but maybe digress take away start from the beginning we keep we keep adding like hey add this pill add this food add this you know add this jump squat because it's going to really change your life is this all just superficial and do we need to go back to hey let's take a walk i know that um i think you posted a, an article about the the effects of open space on, on your brain, on your, on your feeling? Is, is this where we're going as a culture, as a, as a mankind? It's
2: it's a great question. And I think that's where it comes, the experience of, I suppose, of the practitioner to be able to, you guys know where it's like when, when a person comes in, you have to be able to try and work out what is the complexity. I suppose I'm always looking at, What is the maximum amount I can get out of this patient with the minimum amount of hassle that is going to be most effective at any one time? So let me give you a really good example of a patient that I saw 10 years ago and probably a little bit longer. This was a lady who would come to see me for some physical training but she'd be so stressed out when she arrived because of the stress of life that it was becoming impossible to actually get anything done. Not only did that, she would come on, she'd be, go with me. Uh, and, you know, and you know, people do that because they have a go with other people, generally because their lives are, you know, there's a lot going on in their lives. But it came to the point where I said, this is just not working for us. How on earth do we even just get you calmer, slightly calmer, before we even think about doing something from a training perspective. So the conversation ended up being, what is it that is going to calm you and put you in a better position? Because otherwise you're wasting the money, I'm wasting my time, and, you know, and we're wasting the hour. And so we ended up getting into this habit of combing a hair. So that's what we did. Every time she came in, I was just hugely stressed. I would get her a comb out, and I would coma her, her for about
0: <laughs> Wow.
2: Now, the, the point about that is that, well, you know what? You think, God, that, well, that just sounds completely crazy. But yeah. the reality of it is, is, what am I doing there? I am manipulating her hormonal expression and bringing those stress hormones down by something that becomes a real therapeutic intervention for her. And again, this is, well, what is the most appropriate thing to do at the appropriate time? That was it. Would it, would it be appropriate for me to suddenly take this woman through 20, 30 minutes of a hit session? Absolutely not. And I think this is where, as you become more and more experienced about what is my role as a trainer or what is my role as an exercise specialist, it is really, it's about, okay, I've got all, I know what my subject is, but how do I apply that subject to get the best out of my patient at any one time? So that is an example of, of something that I think, yeah, sometimes going for a walk and just asking them what's going on, I think is crucially important.
0: I love that you just gave that example because when I train trainers or I work with, you know, people who are younger, who are inexperienced, I have an example of, and I believe, you know, I'm not, I'm not like singing Kumbaya on the force, okay? But there, there's a, I do believe in energy. When someone walks in, I can almost sense Something's yes. wrong or they're stressed or something's just not right. And I can't tell you how many times over the last, you know, 15 years I've written a, you know, a workout and yeah. I've had someone come in and literally just thrown the workout or ripped, or thrown it off to the side. I look at them where I put my hands on their shoulders and say, what's going on? Yeah. Like you just, something's not right because doing that pre-planned workout, guess what? That is not what that person needs at this time. And you know, that, I mean, obviously we know that there's a lot more going on mentally and like the stress levels and the cortisol and, you know, working out is a stress, but when they walk, when they walk in and that is just not what's best for them at the time, we've got to be those professionals who make that analysis and say, okay, you know what, even before we do anything, they're not going to get anything positive out of being so stressed out and so upset already. We've got to bring them down almost. Let's talk you off the ledge. Let's see what's going on now what what do we need to do today maybe it's just a session of breathing i love yeah. that you said with the hair because at first i'm like all right is that weird or is that just it's very therapeutic right i love yeah. that yeah that example
2: and i suppose with the key there is that the engagement came because the patient took charge when i said to her tell me what is going to be the most um perspective way that I can calm you down, so i don 't have any I, mean, you know, I said you must have had some. What about when you were a kid? and she yeah. said you know her mum she used to love her mum coming to her exactly and so that was the that I, again, you know I think what you 're talking about, Christina, what you said was that as you get older and more experienced, the, the Mayo Clinic wrote a really beautiful paper in two thousand and twelve, which was really about intuition in medical care. And I think what you're talking about there is that when you when that door opens and your patient or your client walks in, the more experienced you are, the more you absolutely know within that first second. Oh Christ! I'm going to have to change everything that I had planned for. That's <laughs> just not going to happen today. And I think this rolls into a lot about theories of periodization or structuring exercise programs. Because in reality, I'm not so sure how how you can with all the variables that you can't control. So I think if you're a trainer and you're rigid on periodization programs and you don't take into all the external factors that are actually just going to mess that all up, I think you're missing quite a lot. Definitely in my experience. And, and you know, so I, I don't write programs anymore. Because it's much more effective for me to know that there is a few things in my head I know I've got to achieve, um, or depending on what comes through. But I don't bother writing anything anymore because I just don't believe that everything that I write on paper ready for that session is going to be perfect. I would say 95% of the time they're not. And so that's just not something I do. And, I, you know, I, I know where I'm trying to go over time with patients, but I never put anything on a periodization, periodized cycle anymore as well. That's not something that I, I, I find effective.
0: That's interesting because now all of the, the box programs, right, everything is kind of cookie cutter, you know, even for trainers and for, you know, people in the fitness industry you know, companies come out, even I was a teacher for 15 years and it, everything was moving away from the individuality and moving towards, you know, you have to do these lessons and give these tests and perform at this level on this test, or you won't get X, Y, and Z. And it's interesting because it seems like there's, and again, it could be fitness, business, anything we could relate this to. It seems like people want to shove everyone in boxes and, and make them you know, really you have to do this and this and this, whereas like I asked you and you said the future, I love your answer because you could have easily been like, well, it's three hours earlier, (laughs) you know, it's (laughs) glorious. Um, But I, I like how you went into that because there's so much, here's what you need to do. Whereas that is not fitting for everybody that, that is not the way that, you know, the, the professional, the real, you know, people who are successful, that's not how they do it.
2: Hmm. So, yeah, I would agree, and I think the more experience you get, the more as a trainer or, or or wherever um you start talking the same thing, and that's because day in day out you see these things happening all the time, and you you, you na listen we're we're all i like to think we're all reasonably smart. Why would you do the same thing for twenty five years? knowing quite well that it's actually not the most appropriate thing for your patient or your or the person you're training. And I think what happens is, is that the more experience you get, the more you realize that actually, you know, I've got to play this in a certain way and this is the most effective way that I've got to look after someone at any one time. And if combing that patient's hair is the most appropriate thing to do, that's what we do. And it's not that you're doing it because it sounds all new age. It's we're doing it because I could layer the whole science behind why this is the most effective thing to do. I think that's what's good about it, I suppose, when you're, I mean, I'm 50 next year. So, you know, you've had all that 30 years, really, of of understanding your craft and and layering the science underneath there as well. So that when someone you know, what the hell are you doing that for? There is, here's the science. This is why, this is why we do that. And so, you know, the logic to your argument becomes really strong.
1: You know, one thing I always say, and it's when people usually come to me and say, all right, what's your program? What's your, you know, what do I do? I want you to tell me exactly what to do and all those things. And my favorite answer is, I don't know uh, yet. (laughs) We'll find out, you know, as we go. And, And I think that that's what it is. It's that integrative look at, at, at things and and I you know I do a lot of health coaching too and I couple it with the ex with the fitness um, programs and there are plenty of sessions where they are half and half and sometimes I decide just like you said you know when's the when's like the kind of the coaching angle going to come in is that in the, in the beginning the end a little in the middle you know when does the fitness come in sometimes they just need to sweat right away in order to you know feel a little bit better about things and 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 I think that just like you know just like you said no like n- not that there's no plan. There's just not a program that you know. You live by the program, you die by the program, and uh, you know I see it in training all the time. I see it in running training. I see it with myself. If I'm training for a race and I stick to the program, right? Like as it's you know as I write it for myself, obviously I you know I give myself plenty of leeway. But you know if I live by the plan, I may die by the plan. I might be running on days when I shouldn't. And so
2: if- I use a I use a really good caveat and, and story uh, again. As you get older, you you, you stop telling people science and you tell stories so what i say to people is what we've learned with humans and i would say everything else that lives on this planet is that the more diversity we have the more flexibility we have across a system the more likely it is to be healthy and and so you could a great example of that is heart rate variability you know the more variable your heart beats the healthier it is the, less, the more that heart rate becomes the same beat, the more likely you're going to die. And, and I apply that to rigid um, exercise programs. The more rigid we are, the less likely we're going to be able to build flexibility into that system. And it's going to fail. So, you know, that's just a little storylines and caveats that allows them to sort of, Understand how you're translating the signs to them, and, and so they sort of get the message. Peter. So that's what I like to do. I like to story tell for them.
0: Well, and it's fun and it's exciting, and that's and it, know, it touches it relates, the heart. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's emotion, and then you have your connections, and yeah. and they believe in you, and then there's the trust of you know we are going to do this, and if they doubt you, it's you know I am looking out for your best interest. Pete, I want to ask you a couple things. We were just talking about, you know, different programs and how they're rigid and, you know, really individualizing things and and seeing that as our future. Well, obviously the baby boomer population is, is really, uh, exploding at this point because, you know, people are living longer and, um, fitness, I guess, you know, traveling or going back a little bit, fitness for a lot of people. Um, is working out and it, you know people dread it and it had to be about really killing yourself and if you didn't you know almost drag yourself out of a workout it wasn't you know the best or it wasn't effective and now what I want you to talk about a little bit is you know you you talk about functional you know movements and medicines and whatnot about populations Um, what is, what do you see is going on right now in the state of, you know, movement, medicine, um, you know, older populations, um, because obviously we're realizing that killing yourself in different workouts and being so rigid, it's not working.
2: Yeah. So I'd say on on certain things, if we talk, uh, let's talk about, um, most of the patients that I see who will come in with some kind of chronic disease, and you know they are in general an aging population group. I, th- I think there's there's a there's a few things to to really consider on this. I'm I actually just did a podcast last week, and I was talking about what do we think you know what are humans designed to do? And well, what's clear, humans are designed to move pretty much most of the day because you know our role the reason why you know why do we move we move because we're trying to find food and so food was predominantly scarce and so we had to you know walk for most of the day to try and find it I suppose and so humans and I suppose the genetic basis of humans and many of our genes actually don't work very well if they're not having movement or forces applied to them and and so most of the people I see just um, aren't capable of actually bringing them up to what their body is designed to do, and that is move for a, for a substantial period of time. I think this sort of goes back to what we think sedentary behaviour is. Um, and I saw you know, the, sort of one of my colleagues has just wrote a piece um, on do we need to redefine sedentary behaviour? Because I think what I see is that, and I think a lot of this is in the terminology. Most of the patients I'm seeing aren't capable of doing training. I and mean, I mean, again, I think words are quite important. They aren't capable of doing exercise because they're so unfit. They're in this sort of new, I suppose, this new definition that I believe, which is really all they're capable of doing is some kind of, and I, I use the term therapeutics, because they're just not physically fit enough to be able to do anything. And I think what you're saying about, and I think this is the problem, isn't it? Is that they are super un, super unfit and super unhealthy, and then the narrative is the of the day is for you to lose weight or get fit. You need to come to Barry's boot camp and do. You know. <laughs> and I, I cannot tell you the amount of patients that I get who, um, you know, get into that situation and. This is where, where, where I always say to them I said look you know if let's take let's take high intensity interval training when you will look at the science th- there's no there's no doubt that it's the real deal there is no doubt when you look at the science that this is a really great way to change things to make you fitter and you know increase your vo2 no problem with that but as I said, to, I said you've got to be able to translate that science and you've got to pick the appropriate science and apply it to the appropriate patient. So most of the time I see is that someone's gone, oh, to get fit, I need to do HIIT. But it's great science completely wrongly applied to the patient because they've not understood where the patient is from a point of view of their journey, their journey back to health. And that's where the sort of inappropriate application of good stuff becomes the problem within their program. So I see a lot of this, a lot of this where, you know, some of these people do a 1,000 steps a day, and that's about as good as they can get. That's about as fit as they are. So even by doing 2,000 steps a day, you're increasing the you know, program gains by a 100%. And there's inherent risks from that. So I'm very, I think we are in the future going to be redefining a, a sort of subset of humans and redefining what sedentary sort of behaviors mean because I think how pure real sedentary behavior influences human physiology, I, I think... I think we're going to be entering into that, in that new phase of understanding. And I, I suppose I think humans are designed to move around. Again, you know, you can look at this from a full um, continuum from, you know, the bed rest studies to the yeah. um, to the sort of ultra endurance athletes to see the sort of full spectrum of, you know, what happens to a body when you do X. There's some classical, uh, and again, if we think about most of our populations, they're sitting down for significant periods of time. So they're down near the classical bed rest studies. And if you look at them, some of them bed rest studies, if you take um, healthy 20 year olds and you induce bed rest, some of these um, 20 year olds are going from being insulin sensitive to insulin resistant within 48 hours of induced bed rest. And so that's giving you just an indication of oh, holy cow, you know, human physiology is designed for movement, and if you don't give it, you're really going to get yourself in trouble very, very quickly. And so that's an that's an area that I'm really, really interested in because I'm, I'm very much interested in the longevity side, and the cognitive um, decline side, and um, I suppose again, you know, if you look at the astronaut, a lot of astronaut science. There's two main components that you'll see when astronauts come back from space. In very, very short periods of time, and this is remembered, if they're up there for any period of time, they're on very stringent training programs from a point of view where they're probably working out three or four hours a day on weighted treadmills and lifting weights. But what you see on on astronauts when they come back to space is two major things. Number one, they are pretty much osteoporotic very quickly. And why is that? That's simply because bone needs forces applied to it, and it needs gravity. So humans need to be ground reacting with the force to keep their bones connected and, and structurally together. You take that away, and then suddenly that's gone. The other really interesting thing for me on astronaut studies is a lot of astronauts come back to back to Earth with dementia, Alzheimer's like conditions that last for quite a long time there's been a very recent rat study that's come out and what that study is proposing let me tell you the study because it's really interesting and again this is an area that we're working on in in, in london at the moment some of our patients and, and proposing certain things from this the what the rat study did is a group of scientists they, they they've taken a group of rats and what they've done is they've suspended the rats their back legs and so the, the rats have. Have lived in you know lived in their cages for two weeks, but their hind legs are all suspended, and the sort of scientists were what they were trying to do is to say: Is there any influence on cognition by these rats not loading through the major major muscle groups and bones? And so, after the study was completed and they euthanized the rats, they looked at what we call neural stem cell um, development, i.e. Um, how much? How, how many stem cells that help the brain rebuild itself were being produced? And they what the, what shocked them is that they saw a the reduction by seventy percent on the rats because they weren't loading those back legs. So I think what we're looking at again is another sort of really strong component that shows us that cognitive decline has a huge mechanism from not just a, from a point of view of humans being able to load against gravity but for humans to move around with movement and I think what I am clear about in where medicine is going certainly from some of the work we're working with at the moment is just how big a player exercise is going to become with regards to more conventional medicine approaches and that is because nothing touches it really as far as the sort of improvements you can make on people with regards to having them to do what they just fundamentally designed to do and that is move. I so,
0: Oh go ahead. Pete? Yep. Yeah? Oh okay. I was gonna say the um with with what you're saying, there is I'm really fascinated, and so is Brian, about the the whole cognitive effect of of exercise and movement. And that's something I know you were talking about taking 20-year-olds and putting them in the, in their bed and what was happening you know with their with their body but i'm even thinking think about your your just your your i just how you feel right your emotions your i mean yes. exercise and movement really affects so many different hormones in your body and lights up different parts yeah. of your brain and and just how you feel your self-worth how you, you know just the way you're looking at the world and the depression that comes from that Yes, is is just of such magnitude at this point, and you know, you you had talked about, you know, I've seen the astronaut studies before. I'm always fascinated because everyone, you know, everyone's like glorifies these astronauts, and and you know, I, I was reading about all the effects of space and gravity, and, and I'm like, wow, this is, this sounds awful, but that rat study you talked about, I think is is very telling about how important movement really is. And we were just talking about, again, like people getting older, the baby boomers coming up here. And some things that you have also spoken about, I know, is different diseases and how we can, you know, really maybe prolong the onset of something like Alzheimer's. And, you know, there's, will you talk about what you've seen a little bit there with the cognitive decline of not exercising and and how that affects some of these diseases yeah
2: so i what i would say on that i'll go for go to two I'd go to two points um i think if you look at the longevity research and you know what are the what are the best markers of longevity well apart from how long people live obviously gives you a good idea um there was a a very profound paper in in panas in i think it was 2016 and you know there we used to think that um telomeres by you know taking telomeres was um Telomere testing was uh, the number one marker of how long you're going to age. And you know what? Listen, I, I got caught up with that and you know, tested loads of people. And I still, you know, telomere testing is still a reasonably robust test to use. But when you can comp- apply it against um, what are better markers of, of longevity, um, mobility all, comes out at number one. Strength comes out at number two, as far as the signs. Telomere has come down about 13th. And why is that when you think about it? Well, it comes back to, again, is that if you're not strong enough or mobile enough, you eventually come to, you know, like my grandparents did and like many people, is that your world shrinks to essentially a chair and a TV. And so even getting out of that chair... You have a situation where if you're not doing it frequently, you lose the capacity to be able to do that. And then, of course, so so strength and mobility are probably two of the prime indicators of how long to, how long you're going to live. And so, this is why they're so important to keep people moving, you know, and get people keep, keep people have the mobility to get out of the chair. So when you're starting to look at, well, what are our primary indicators of longevity or cognitive decline? Some of the real basic testing that we're using in work is something like, so we will use a 30-second sit-to-stand test, which has really good, robust science with regards to its associations with longevity and Alzheimer's. We do something like very, I mean, and these are just simple tests that don't cost anything. Um, Hand-grip dynamometers. How Good your grip strength has a strong association of how long you 're going to live and whether you 're going to be cogniz- you know whether you 're going to have a cognitive decline problem so again it 's not rocket science tests these are tests that anyone can do with a twenty five dollar hand grip dynamometer, it 's giving you this indication and you 're getting these robust objective markers of how well we 're doing and so you know that is for me where sort of exercise science bit is really going to come up and take its take its position with regards to, you know, helping people from a point of view of cognitive decline and longevity, you know, and even when we're thinking about movement, when we're talking about cognitive decline, one of the key things about physical movement and getting fit is that um, particularly when we're looking at maybe something like vascular dementia, um, you're looking at just the reason why that's probably more exaggerated is because they're just not getting enough blood flow up there, and with, and with the lack of blood flow comes the lack of nutrients, and importantly, becomes the lack of oxygen. So you get this—you get this less capacity for them to, as you say, recapillarize and and sort of help to rebuild the brain. What's quite interesting with some of the genetics we're running um, with, with regards to cognitive decline, we're seeing quite a lot of patients who have. Who have SNPs on, um, on BDNF. Now, BDNF is is what we call brain-derived neurotropic factor. It is a, if you like it, is a brain-building molecule. Mm-hmm. And it is just it is predominantly released when you when you exercise. So the more you exercise, the more you're gonna release BDNF. And we're actually finding that there are some individuals where they have Um, snips on bdnf And, and that means that they even with exercise they don't release as much bdnf as a normal person would do so for those people it's even more essential that physical exercise becomes a more important component of the program so that is again when you're using a lot of data over time that's when When you start to get a lot of data about a patient, you can really start to layer their individualized programs to say your biggest wins to stopping you um, losing your mind, if you sense, is that we need to really be pushing the physical activity because there's a few things here that... You know, without it we're gonna you're gonna go and decline in an even quicker manner. So so that's the kind of exciting thing I think that physical movement and exercise brings into certainly in the clinical population groups that we're looking at to show.
1: Sure.
0: When are we going to have doctors subscribe mm-hmm. exercise? And when is that going to be paid for? Like by insurance? And I mean, these are the questions I have. Like, you know, we have all this research out there, you know, Brian, Pete, like
2: uh, I think, where, I think
0: how do people understand that this is the most important thing? We've got these problems and we've got these, you know, we've got what we should do. How do we solve this? This is what, this is why I don't sleep at night, Pete. I've crossed <laughs> well, my arms with my say, eyes open.
2: It's, you know, it's just, it's a brilliant question you just asked. And I think. I think the difficulty is, is that we have a we have a medical and health parad- paradigm still, where it is a pill for an ill. Mm-hmm. And I think whilst, and I can tell you, many patients who contact our our um, consultancy because they want they want a functional medicine approach are still coming in with an allopathic model, i.e., we've heard you're really good we've heard you're going to do these new tests and then you're going to give us a supplement regime. And, and, and so they're still coming in with this supplement, you know, a pill for an ill, a supplement for an ill sort of mentality. And I think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is we're still in that, in, in that um, area. I came in and spoke in San Diego a couple of years ago um, at a really big international conference for functional medicine. And what was what was surprised me about that conference is that usually this is a conference where you'll have fifteen hundred attendees, mainly mainly MDs. And the conference had a exercise and movement um, sort of it was it was all around um medicine, but but with how exercise is it was the key component of the conference. And less than a thousand attended and I think that is because it's just not in the doctor's space to be able to be understanding it. And I think, I think that's really sad. But I do, think, I do think it is changing. It has to change because you just can't deny the science. And it would be crazy to deny the science. But whilst we're still in a pill for an ill mentality, it's going to be more difficult people to do there has to be an acceptance with people from a point of view of you can't have it all and if you're going to be incredibly here's one of the biggest questions that i have the reason why we have a we have a a world where people are so ill is because they're so time poor and so to get yourself healthy to take a journey in health you've got to have time and so you can't be having quick fixes and i think again that's kind of the component of it so it's frustrating. I get it. It really is. And, but I think it's it's people like us who just need to keep on banging the message. And if there's enough of us banging the message, people will get it because there just isn't any quick fixes. So at some stage, people have just got to upset that it's going to be much more of a longer journey than a quick fix.
1: It, it's still hard for me to hear because I, I guess maybe because my world and you know my, the, you know social media and where I get my information from and all those things it's so geared towards movement and you know and proper nutrition and, and things like that and not a pill for an ill and we know now that you know like you said the evidence is clear and it's so it's 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 still kind of baffling to me when I hear that um, because. It's just, you know, it has to go in the the direction of evidence, right? You would think. Um, and is it training? Is it I mean, why isn't it in the doctor's wheelhouse or in their world? Is it their is it their their education is lacking?
2: I think it's because it's not convenient. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and, it, and, it, and it, in a simple manner, I think that's what it is. And you know, with no experience, it's a bit, it's a bit like you know doctors and nutrition with no experience in those fields. And, you know, it it means that they've, in in, in a sense, fundamentally got to retrain or have people on board that they can link to. So, yeah, I think it's
1: exactly I mean, a a referral to, you know, something that, that that's, you know, able to help the person more. Then, you know, and, and, and it's ego, I suppose, as well. You know, I'm the doctor and, and here's, you know, here's what you, you don't understand and I do and here's how it has to be. And I, I think that that's something that I've run into quite a bit, um, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's something that, that um, um, you know, has to change. It's just there's too much information and evidence, especially now it's out there, you know, that yeah. that's where the paradigm shift happens. The information is available to everybody now. We yeah. can kind of make our own choices.
0: All right, so, deny
2: the evidence.
0: so here's what I want to say. Number one is that, um, first I'll go with Brian, how you were saying, you know, that you feel like how, how do people not know this and, and what you see on social media, you are like 1% of the population though. And it's almost like living in a bubble of like, you know, I say, well, I'm involved with a lot of health and fitness and everyone likes to move. And when, um, the other day it was Pete McCall asked you about the, the culture of the Jersey shore. And you're like, well, people moving all the time. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here like, I'm seeing the other side of the people eating like all this food, thinking that they're doing things healthy and they're eating pizza and stuff in their face. And like, I'm kind of seeing the flip side. And I think, you know, we have to take off the glasses sometimes and be like, we're, and we're, we really are not the, you know, the masses out there. We are the people that are trying to create that, understanding. And again, um, Pete, with with this podcast is is one of the main things is we want to bring unbiased information to people so that when you're saying a pill for an ill, that is absolutely what I would say 95% of the population. That's really what they believe because you're trusting this doctor. What's the doctor hearing in school? They're hearing, well, here's Western medicine. Here's the pill. This is what it does. Here's science. Well, we're coming out here almost as, you know, shaking everything up from the ground and saying, Yes, we understand that this you know causes this in science, but is that best for you? Um, yeah, and
2: it, that's you know, a big the deal. And ill means that in in many ways, the patient and the doctor don't have to engage in a patient's journey back to recovery or health. So you know, I think it allows both of them off mm-hmm. off the uh, you know it allows them not to engage, and I think this again this is this is the key. I think. I think allopathic medicine is set up for um, a a transaction process, um, not a journey. And I think that's the major problem as well, is that, as you know, once you take a patient on board and they realize, you know, that they need to participate on that journey, it becomes a very different story. And so I think this is the big difference, is that, you know, you can only you can only help people who are ready to be helped and they're in that space.
1: And so, you know, there are
2: many models of behavioural change and and for many, they're just not ready for action. And so, you know, I think from a trainer's perspective, there's never to be frustrated from a a point of view With you know, you'll get many people come see you and they don't make the next steps or they start and then realise that actually they're not truly ready. Because when you do get someone who is ready, it's easy because they are participating in their journey. They are the primary driver of walking down that path. And you as a practitioner, all you're doing there is then is occasionally coming on that path and giving them a bit of advice and help, but it's, it's their journey to take. And I, I think, again, it comes back to this message that you have to have. I mean, I have an, I have a real honest chat with my patients at the beginning about what is involved and that, this is not my journey. This is their journey. And so they have to take charge of it. By all means, at any stage, I can come on and help them out. But it's not my journey to take. And it's not my responsibility neither. And it's your responsibility. And, and in many ways, as I say to them, the shit starts with you. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you have, to, you, have to, you have to come on and take your take your role on this. And, you know, and I think with that is that there's always a, you know, for some, you do have to it's understanding that we talked about it, didn't we? The flexibility of systems is most effective. And I think it's, some, it's sometimes when you've got a patient, you need to do a little bit more work than them because they need your help. But And that's fine. But, you know, ultimately it is, it is their journey to take. And, you know, they have to be their primary participant in, in their journey. I mean, I, I, I don't need to tell you guys this, but we see it so often. It's unbelievable. So and often, I suppose we've got to the point now as a as a group, as a collective, where we're all okay with that, and we're okay with saying, "Look, I honestly don't think you're ready for what we can give you. Um, so maybe come back to us in six months' time if you think you're ready to make those steps." And I and I think as a you know as a, a it's different having this conversation as a twenty five year old twenty five year vet of this because when you're starting off you know you need the business right. you know, it's very different now and I, and again it's 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 sort of difficult to try and give people who are maybe less experienced or in the industry that advice because i was there and i would i took every tom dick and Harry at mm-hmm. the beginning <laughs> i needed to pay my bills and number two i wanted the experience but as you grow and get older and learn i think and you have a you know a very stable client base and business you know that you can make different decisions based on who you're seeing and who you want to work with of course absolutely you know you you need to be working with the people you want to work with otherwise you get burnt out you know and you and we talked christine you talked about you know the energetics of individuals i mean god i mean you can look back and think of some of the patients who have just sapped you dry i you know. mean there
1: is a lot of freedom in saying no you know oh, and, and-
2: but it's a it's a big step to be able to do that
0: pete was there a point and i'm going to bring this back was there a point in your career or your life where there was a line in the sand where you're like i see this i get it because it took me a long time to figure out I, i was a you know collegiate athlete and and whatnot and it it took me a while to really understand that and i'm still learning every single day i'm you know i feel like you know i'm always, always learning something new from the people around me or what's going on that, um, life is really about your mind and your mindset first. Everything else is secondary because if, you know, you don't have your mind and you don't have, like you were saying, people have to be ready, then you're never going to do anything. It it has to be that point. So were you always, you know, did you always have that feeling of, i you know, I want to work with people, like you said, um, that you took on clients and and did more of, I guess, less individual assessments at first because you needed them. And what, what happened? How did you evolve like that?
2: I'd probably say a very long time in the industry. Yeah. Um, And I don't know whether it is the, the arrogance of youth allows you to push through. I think, I think maybe because, you know, I'd hate to say it, but I'm, you know, I'm, Becoming middle aged now, I'm 50 next year. I think you ultimately, I suppose, are, whilst you're still very much learning, and I think everything, as you know, I, I like to use the word that you are, you know, um, you're still learning day by day. I just think you develop a way that you want to work and you, you set some pretty good boundaries. I think I think that's something that I've learned to do about what are my boundaries, particularly about um, the relationship with the patient and what our roles are and what's going to work for me and what's not going to work for me. And I've become more and more strict with that. And I say that because not so much, I think because I've had my fingers stung many times by not being able to be brave enough to be honest with patients, to be honest with where their boundaries are, to be honest to tell them that actually they're not doing their role and, you know, maybe we need to finish and stop. And so that now, it's a bit like everything, is that, you you know, humans by nature will try and avoid things that, that are uncomfortable for them. That's very normal. I think I've become much better at... I'm slightly more desensitized about having a conversation with a patient that may be ending up with them not coming back in again. And and, and that is more about self-preservation than anything. So you just know, you just learn very quickly that, you know what, this is going nowhere, and so I need to have that conversation and be brave about it. So I think that's sort of one of my sort of key changes in certainly in the business practice going forward
1: it's it's an it's 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 a unique look at it i mean it really is you know just being yourself enough to be yourself professionally is is you know it's, it's a it's great a fair, that's great advice it's a by fair the way. way to that's look at it
2: <laughs> is it, it, i've been uh, i think you meet really i think there is a in life you meet people who guide you and i was very lucky to me to behavioral psychologist nearly 20 years ago now and he's been instrumental in guiding me just about who i am in particular and i think you're absolutely spot on i think a, a successful practitioner is one who is actually you know you know what you can sort of say every day said you know what i'm actually i'm actually an all right bloke you know, I mean, you know what? And I'm good with myself. I'm happy with myself. You know what? I might I might say stupid things at the wrong time. Um, I've got some terrible habits, but fundamentally, deep down, I'm a really good bloke. And and what that means is that when I go into a consultation with someone, it means that I don't. And again, I'll use the words. I hope it's, it's a little bit. I say it. I don't bring my shit into that consultation. <laughs> right is, uh, and if there is anything coming back i know it's not down to me i know it's down to whatever that person is bringing into me and and so being good about yourself i think understanding who you are and being good about that is probably the biggest thing you could ever do from a point of view of you becoming better at what you do i don't believe it's going on the next course and doing the next test while you're fundamentally on maybe you know don't understand yourself well enough or unhappy with yourself i think you've got to deal with you before you've got to be good with yourself before you can be good with treating people and and that for me is is an absolute
1: we're we're both sitting here smiling because i think you just explained the two of us like pretty perfectly pretty good blokes that's
0: it's but that's what like you know what once you understand that then you're going to have a much better life. You're going to be happier. Oh, you're going to be able to affect change more and following your dreams. And other people will know that what you're doing, like what you said when you walk in with someone, they know that maybe they don't agree with you, maybe they do, but they know that you have their best interests in mind. That yes. is so powerful, what you just said, I think really encapsulated a lot of of what goes into not just the exercise science and the the, the science behind it and you know, living longer and moving more, it makes you feel better as well.
2: Yeah. Can I just give you, I know, I I don't have time, but I want to give you some caveats of some some initial work that we're looking at, which I think you might find really interesting. So so we do a lot of genetics around um, what produces neurotransmitters in the brain and are there any deficits and does that cause any risk factors for patients? And of course, If we look at the depression literature, particularly over the last 20 years, much of the depression literature has changed from a point of view of how how do we look at depression and what is it and how do we define it? Because what we're looking at depression now is that for many depression, people are depressed because they're inflamed. And so when we're looking at why are people depressed? Well, it's because maybe they're actually in a pro-inflammatory state. And why is that they're in a pro-inflammatory state? Is that because they've got adverse genetics that, that, that uh, move them towards that? Is it because they sat at their desk and simply we know that movement is anti-inflammatory and not moving is definitely pro-inflammatory? But I just want to take you through a couple of the um, patients that we've seen because, of course, one of the key components of reduction in depression is physical exercise, and I'm as you say, as a as an exercise scientist by the background. I'm absolutely onto this from a point of view. where there's no doubt movement is um, an depressive by nature, but again, we've seen a couple of patients who are depressed patients because actually more than more than two, we've probably got three or four at the moment, where they are. Um, I've had a diagnosis of depression, but the depression is because they're inflamed and have been told to go and do some exercise. And of course, we've had the luxury now of doing quite a lot of data on them and looking at some of their DNA snips and looking at some of their their risk factors genetically for um, pro-inflammation. So some of their um, interlude interleukin beta and subunits, the IL-6, the TNFs. And and so what we're doing now is we're sort of trying to stratify the people who are more at risk from pro-inflammatory events. So we've got a couple of these patients at the moment. And unfortunately, what seems to be happening with them, because of the narrative of what they've been told, they're doing too much too often for what they're capable of doing at present. And of course, that is throwing a big pro-inflammatory event for them, and so we do believe that there is maybe a, a small subset of patients who are over-exercising and making the situation worse. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I can so, I can see that greatly. I you know I just I was going to ask you about the outlier, which is the you know the athlete that is. Um, that, You know, is trains at a very high level that becomes depressed. Um, You know, we see it quite a bit. So
2: I actually presented, I actually presented a case study at a conference last year of a 35 year old female who ran a marathon and was depressed um, pretty much after that marathon and um, went down a conventional route and couldn't seem to resolve. The depression. I mean, clearly, again, I think this is where functional medicine is brilliant at giving you a roadmap to navigate. Well, why did that happen? And clearly, the marathon created a an event where she was never the same again. And what happened? And again, if if you do follow the particularly the endurance research and particularly runners, you know there is a very high prevalence of irritable bowel and issues. Um, And that makes complete sense because, and I think this comes down to, this takes you into the interesting realm about performance and health as far as exercise, because I will see a huge amount of professional athletes who, from a performance level, are amazing, but they're not healthy. So, and this was a classic example, this lady's, she had an incident where again, if you understand what happens with high intensity exercise for long duration, like in a marathon, in a marathon event, where you know when you just think about some of the logic of that, the, the blood flow is in the muscles and not in the, uh, not in the stomach, capillary beds. and if you like, the, the gastrointestinal tracts all but, all but dies in that occasion. And it's exposed to very high temperatures it's also exposed to the mechanical stress of being just jogged up and down for that amount of time. So this lady had quite a significant incident where she um, hooed her pants on the on on the um on the race because obviously she was having quite a lot of sort of um stomach issues as she ran and Eventually, this led us to know that a gut wall became just very permeable. And when your gut wall becomes permeable, it increases your risk of things coming inside the body that shouldn't be there. And what happened with this lady is that she was exposed to um, increasing amounts of what we call endotoxins called lipopolysaccharides. And when your, when your immune system which is role if you like is like a is like a defense force it's a, it's, a, it's a killing squad when they travel around your body looking to try and protect you and look for invaders they have a very significant response to like a polysaccharides and what they do is they induce sickness like behavior so when you're exposed to these um, back to, these sort of um lipid come sugar molecules that we call LPS, the, the immune system responds so so robustly that it produces sickness-like behavior. And in many ways, a bit like what you've got the flu, and this is backs up again, all the literature around inflammatory-led conditions that are now being redefined as depressive-like behaviors. So she was she was depressed because she was highly inflamed. Her immune system was still robustly responding to these bacteria that were consistently coming through her gut and her gut wall was still permeable even six months later after I eventually started treating her. So the simple process about that was we gave her some products to help her with the LPS and then we just gave her a really robust mucosal repair process for about six to eight weeks and the depression went away and she was absolutely fine after that. Hmm. But that was a really great example of where sort of the other side of the coin comes with too much exercise at too high an intensity for too long a period. And that really does beg the difference about, you know, is high performance exercise healthy in the, in the long term I think there's a lot of arguments that it's
1: not. It, it, it's fascinating, and we and we ride that line, right? Christine and I are both, you know, are, are, are avid runners, and and yeah. uh, Christine has has uh, has gone as far as an Ironman, yeah. and uh, you know, and, and we do these things to ourselves in the name of health that aren't always very healthy, uh, and and we kind of know it, and it, and it's part of the deal. Um, one question I had for you on that particular runner, and, and this is just something, just so I understand it better. Is that uh, was the um, was it due to the one-time trauma of the event of the marathon itself, or was it uh, uh, cumulative over tra- from training? Do you feel brilliant
2: question? I think there is. Um, I think the there was never. She was. She was. There was never any evidence before the marathon that she was having any kind of substantial IBS and very occasionally but again related to this is one of the aspects that we we know from from particularly from running it is a problem yes you're on too often and you are maybe slightly more susceptible your diet's not as good so your your microbiome is not as in as good a shape you are definitely susceptible sure so i've proposed that i certainly think i certainly proposed in in hard training periods that you might want to think about using a a very broad spectrum probiotic as a as a pretty much a sort of a, a prophylactic. I think that just makes super sense to do that.
0: I've, we could go on with this probably because I have like eight thousand questions of what you just brought up because of just, you know,
1: personal, experience. personal
0: experiences and experiences working with people and the I'm on like marathon thirty something right now and Brian's like it just avid just killed the Philadelphia marathon and like two forty Two forty eight. Two forty eight. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but again, I think that's something. There's something to be said, Pete, about what you're bringing up. Um, the you know the sedentary lifestyle of people, it, the fact that we're not moving. Our bodies are meant to move, and the effects it has on your muscles and your bones and your brain, and prolonging disease and the overuse of medicine because we want that quick fix is. I mean, some of this stuff is like literally the decline of humankind at this point. I feel yeah, like. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's such a powerful message to get out there to everyone listening right now, as we're kind of wrapping up for today. That this is this is the science. This these are the studies. You know, this is real. And if we choose to do nothing, we're gonna, we're all going to be in a bad place. So, you know, with that said, you, you hear the research, you hear what's going on. And, you know, for us, for any of the fitness professionals, um, and trainers and therapists out there that it's really important, like what you're saying, this isn't about a package. This is about an individual. It's about looking at yourself. What do you need? What's best for you? Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're not the same as anyone else. And the most important person in this world is you and you need to look out for that. Um, so what, um, what I want to end with is, so what, what's up next for you? What are, what are the next big things that you're working on or any, any conferences or conventions you're going to be presenting or what's, what's going on, Pete?
2: Not at present. I think, um, I, I'm just taking on a new colleague who is a, um, she is a, um, an ex. So she, she like me is, um, has been certified through the Institute for Functional Medicine. So she has the sort of gold standard accreditation for functional medicine if you like but she specializes in pain and um, pain is a huge component of many of the chronic disease patients that we see and um, that's just incredibly fascinating area to go in into because uh, just how chronic pain is and you know it, it's Honestly got nothing to do with the original injury and I, I find that quite fascinating. I don't understand it too much, which is obviously why I brought <laughs> her in. Um I'm still very much going down. I love the longevity um side of medicine. Um and obviously the, the you know, the chronic um the cognitive decline side. We do I think we're doing some really good stuff. There's a small group of us in London doing some I would like to think some great stuff and it's a personal interest for me. I come from a very much something that resembles a American football background with a few different sports i've been have had major concussions right through my sort of from fifteen to thirty as a played sport and there is sort of there's a there's a bit of my brain and my memory probably not as good as it should be so I'm I'm trying to work on that and develop a program for myself that is that is working around that so and apart from that I'm training so, <laughs> you know, I like to, get out, like to get out and do my stuff I'm interesting isn't it that I, I just I say this to many people I'm just not the same person without having done something in on the day it doesn't matter what it is sometimes and Sometimes it's not a great session, but even on the on the worst ones, the fact that I've just had a bit of a sweat 25, 30 minutes on a you know on a not particularly great day just keeps my boxes. That's
1: who I am. <laughs> you are preaching to the choir there.
0: So, Pete, before, um, before we ask you to share all your information with all of us, which we're going to put up all over our social media channels and networks and, and get out there so everyone can hear your voice, um, my husband said that, oh my gosh, your, your guest is Liverpool. He actually spent a year at the university of Liverpool. And
2: <laughs> when was he there? I did my first he degree. He but...
0: was, I want to yeah. say, oh man, um, probably 2000, I think. Right. Was right there.
2: Well. Was, uh, he's obviously quite a bit younger than me. So um, yeah, well, he, he would have had a pretty good experience. I, I, yeah. So yeah, like 99,
0: 2000, he had a full year, like a June to a June studied in Liverpool. I have yet to go and we're dying because he wants to show me where he lived and where he went to school and he played basketball for their, their team for that year. Um, so he was like, Oh, you got to ask him what, what soccer club he, you know, he follows and uh, there's, only there's only one team, right? right. Exactly. That's,
2: that's- that's the red team for
0: yeah. show. So we have the scarves up in our house and everything so just yeah. to to throw that out there Pete, you. we have
1: a we have a good local runner around here who's uh, gotten herself into some coaching now and she's she's from Liverpool. Awesome. And uh yeah, she's a fantastic human being and uh you yeah. know, they make good Must be a tough girl. Yeah, oh, she's yeah. tough. She's tough. Karen Charles, shout out. Yeah. We'll put we'll tag <laughs> it on this. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my well, tell us, please, where can uh, our listeners find you, uh, social media, websites, things like that?
2: Yeah, um, so my website, which is due to be changed, actually, because we're, we're going from um, – so my website uh, is just PeteWilliams.org, um, but that will be changing in about two months to Functional Medicine Associates, um, so we're just having that re I think oh god I knew you were going to ask me a question because I am terrible on social media. <laughs> uh, so that, that is a good question. That's okay.
1: If it's on the site it'll all link up. So you yeah, just you will, just do the will,
2: yeah. so it, you can find me on that and um yeah so I think I think my Twitter might be um ptfmed and I think all my other stuff might actually just be ptfmed. So I got it. Uh,
0: you could have said like some of our guests. Just
1: Google it. Just Google me.
2: <laughs> We're like what? <laughs> I'm unfortunately massively technophobic, so I just, you know Google's a bit of a bit of a push for me.
1: That's okay. You're That's too, too okay. busy, Pete. Too
0: busy solving the world's just problems. Stay to worry moving, about that. Pete. That's it. So. Pete we thank you so much for spending time um, talking to us you know really educating our listeners and educating the world about the importance of movement and how that affects your body
1: and and for more than anything for, with me Pete thank you for you know just reassuring me that I'm on the right path with this stuff too you know I hear someone like yourself speak and it and it's like we're you know I I, I feel like that that I am uh, it just kind of justifies the work that I try and do with you're other leaving people. me out on that one Brian uh, well I'm just for me personally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that, Pete.
2: Absolute pleasure. I really appreciate um, being asked on. So uh, thank you very much for
0: that. Awesome. So You're with welcome. that said, everyone, my name is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are To Fit Crazes. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.